0: This is Finance, a basic look at the complex world of investing. Join me, Matt Gregory, and stock market expert Peter Rusciutti as we put the fun in mutual fund, or something like that.
1: Think about that. In a literal sense, the fastest way to move money around the world today is to get a suitcase full of cash, buy a plane ticket, jump on a plane, and carry... What is this, like 1950? (laughs) It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. We accept it. And we have this veneer of speed, right? Because we have online bank accounts.
0: On this week's episode, what is cryptocurrency? To explain, we have cryptocurrency expert Matt Hogan, and Peter takes a look at some good, bad, let's say, interesting trends in the markets. And to help us figure out the big question that is, what is cryptocurrency, we brought in an expert, Matt Hogan from Bitwise Asset Management. Matt, Give us a little background, how you got to cryptocurrency, what you do at Bitwise.
1: (laughs) Sure. Bitwise is a crypto asset manager. We manage about a billion and a half uh, in crypto assets. We're best known for having created the first crypto index fund. It's kind of like the S&P 500 of crypto. It makes it easy to buy the 10 largest crypto assets in a single fund package. You know, I I come from a traditional finance background. So before I joined Bitwise in early 2018, I was involved in the ETF or exchange-traded fund industry uh, as the CEO of ETF.com. I created the first ETF rating system in the world and built a media and conference business around it. What excited me about ETFs uh, were that they were this new technology that were a more efficient, lower cost, more tax-efficient version of traditional mutual funds. And Mm -hmm. I was excited to uh, help tell the world about how wonderful ETFs are, and I'm glad today that They become the dominant way that many people many americans invest in 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 stocks and bonds and i moved into crypto because i saw something similar which was here was this really exciting technology that had a lot of risks that had a lot of wrinkles don't get me wrong but had the potential to make the financial industry more efficient more effective lower cost more inclusive more exciting but that most people didn't understand and so I, i wanted to get involved in a space that i thought was going to grow into something you know, truly significant. We've made some progress along that journey over the last three plus years. And uh, it's exciting to see where we are today.
0: Yeah. So to start very basic, and by the way, it's just, it's very interesting to see a career that goes from like traditional finance that gets just a little bit onto like the wave of something that's going on online. There's been so much that's changed from 2000 to now right in terms of how we do investments not only and we've also changed what we're investing in so Mm -hmm. what is cryptocurrency like in the simplest way you can explain it
1: yeah uh that's that's a that's a big question i'm going to try to do it simply uh a lot of people think of it as a as a currency um a lot of people think of it as the dollar as this sort of fake unicorn internet money that fell Mm -hmm. from the sky That's not how I think of it. I think of it as a technology. The currency aspect is almost incidental. It's a technology that allows money to move at internet speeds. And one of the things people don't think about, but is true, is that money is one of the slowest moving things in today's society. If you wanna wire money to London, it takes two business days. If you wanna pay your bills online, it takes five days to hit your cable account. If you buy a stock, it doesn't settle for two days. What in our world takes two plus days? I can order almost anything from Amazon. It could be delivered to my door in two days. I could probably order a modular house and it would be built in two days. Most things are at our fingertips. I can open up my phone and watch any movie that ever existed. It takes me two days to send $10,000 to London. It's ridiculous. You, you so, did what-
0: say one time you said the best way to think of it is I, it's faster. Can you explain how it's faster to get money to London right now?
1: It's true. It's true. To, you know, if it's Thursday and you go to your local bank and you want to wire money to London, the fastest it can get there is by Monday. Think about that. In a literal sense, the fastest way to move money around the world today is to get a suitcase full of cash, buy a plane ticket, jump on a plane and carry. What is this like 1950? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. We accept it and we have this veneer of speed, right? Because we have online <laughs> bank accounts. Um But if anyone who's ever paid their bill the day it was due and then gotten charged a late fee because it took seven days to get there knows that money actually moves extraordinarily slowly. And what crypto allows you to do is to send money. One of the things it allows you to do is send money instantly anywhere around the world at a fraction of the fee. And just to make that real, we gave that example of wiring money through, through, you know, Bank of America to London. The other day on the Bitcoin blockchain, someone moved a billion dollars. It settled in 10 minutes and the fee was 57 cents my bank doesn't charge me 57 cents to like buy a coffee right i mean they don't know they don't they don't charge in pennies um the fact that you can move a billion dollars on an unmanaged software network with no employees and no offices and it settles in 10 minutes anywhere in the world is pretty cool Mm -hmm. and so i think a lot of people get hung up on the fact that you and i aren't buying our cappuccinos at starbucks with bitcoin it's not what it's about it's a technology that allows money and prof- financial property rights to move over the internet. And that's a big space. There are a lot of potential applications and we're just scratching the surface of what it will mean for the world. So the
0: first big cryptocurrency was Bitcoin. I mean, there may mm-hmm. have been precursors to it, sort of how like Facebook had Friendster. But when you talk about um, crypto, you're talking about Bitcoin. What, how did, was Bitcoin developed? And then sort of what is the idea behind Bitcoin? It's like, it's not a, an infinite source of money.
1: No, that's exactly right. Uh, Bitcoin was the first, and, and the Bitcoin blockchain was the first blockchain, was a solution to a computer science problem that had been pondered and kicked around for like 20 years. And there are two ways to look at that computer science program. One is how do you send money over the internet? At its core, though, it's the database question, which is how can you have one database that's available everywhere in the world, but that isn't controlled by a centralized entity like a bank, but it's still true. And people had taken various shots on goal. And if you, if you do Wikipedia on crypto, you'll, you'll hear about these various shots on goal and they were all flawed, they didn't work. And then this pseudonymous uh, developer named Satoshi Nakamoto, at least that's the name that he, she, or they go by, uh, figured out how to do this, published a white paper and then released a software into the world. And the first Bitcoin uh, was, was created. Uh, Part of the program in Bitcoin is that there only will ever be 21 million. Uh, So uh, that was important. Um, But it unleashed this new idea in the world, which is this non-sovereign digital store of value that can move anywhere in the world instantaneously. On a database, we all agree is true. Um, And initially, everyone laughed as they usually do with online things. And today it's worth a trillion dollars. So that's... um, You know, but that's not an unusual journey. People laughed about uh, Facebook. They laughed about online newspapers. You know, I I do find it ironic that the same, you know, people can't remember. No one will ever read a newspaper online. I want to feel it in my hands. I love physical books. No one's going to watch videos on their phone. Guess what? We do all of those things. Um, No one's going to believe in a global... Uh, currency or global store value that you can't touch with your fingers. I'm just skeptical that that sort of argument holds up. It hasn't, it's been thrown at every digital advance that we've had and it's never held up over time. Uh, And I don't think it will hold up over time with currency. I don't think it will hold up over time with gold. And I don't think many of the financial transactions that we handle today by going to the bank, I don't think we'll be doing those by going physically to a bank In the future, I think we're going to be doing those online using crypto based blockchains. I I really do. And and just because I'm sure people get confused because
0: I know it confused the everything out of me. We're talking about Bitcoin. Bitcoin travels or at least is uh, and take it There's a notation of it on the blockchain. So Mm -hmm. what is the blockchain?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. There are two things. There's the Bitcoin blockchain and then there's Bitcoin. The Bitcoin blockchain is just a database. Uh, It's just a database, it's a single database. Bitcoin is the unit of account. The way I like to, I'll go back to this example of money moving around the world. The way I like to explain this to people is that PayPal or Venmo teaches you everything you need to know about what a blockchain is. Think about why PayPal exists. Mm -hmm. PayPal does something really simple, which is that it lets me send you $20 and you get it instantaneously, Mm -hmm. right? It lets me pay my babysitter or split bills with friends at dinner or pay the plumber, whatever. Because of its ability to do this very simple thing, it's one of the most downloaded apps in the world, right? 200 million Americans. Uh, That shows to you that moving money easily to someone else quickly is a service that people want. 200 million people downloaded it. You and I probably used it in the last week. Um, The reason PayPal or Venmo is fast is because it's one database. Inside Venmo, I can only send money to another Venmo user. Venmo controls every transaction. So if I want to send you 20 bucks or 100 bucks, Venmo can look in its single database and say, Matt has $100 in his account. He hasn't sent it to anyone else. Let's transfer it. And it can do it as quickly as you can change an Excel spreadsheet. The reason banks are slow is it's thousands of databases. If I send you a check, your, check has to, your bank has to check with my bank make sure my account is good, I didn't write multiple checks on the same account, Uh, verify that it's in good standing, All all that takes time. So in other words, one database is fast, a million databases slow. All a blockchain is, is Venmo without Venmo. It's one database that's available everywhere in the world that we all agree is true, but which Venmo doesn't control. So instead of being in a walled garden, you're in something that looks more like the internet, that touches everything. But it can do the same thing. It can move financial goods anywhere around the world instantaneously. Uh, and, and, you know, it does other things beyond that. Once you have this, you can program money like software, which is not something you can do when it moves with the speed of a, of a banana slug, uh, which it does today. Um, but really, it's just like a good way to conceptualize a blockchain. It's Venmo without Venmo. It's one database available everywhere that everyone agrees is true, uh, but it doesn't have any single party maintaining it. it's maintained in a decentralized form
0: so you know take it from the beginning part i guess for some for, for me i i don't own any cryptocurrency but i've decided i want to get into cryptocurrency um i guess what is this whole concept of mining bitcoin Oof.
1: yeah great question you know what banks if you if you think about what banks do not in the like lending money sense but in the in the sense that we use them for our cash What they do is two things. They process transactions and they maintain a secure database so no one steals my money. Mm -hmm. Miners are doing the same thing. The miners replace the banks in the sense that if if I put a Bitcoin transaction, I want to send you a Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin or 10 Bitcoin if I'm feeling very nice. Mm -hmm. Um, The miners are the one who process that transaction. They make sure I have a Bitcoin. They send it to your account and they secure the network. They secure the network by expending a lot of energy processing these transactions. Um, They're filling the same role. I'm happy to go into how it works. I think a lot of people get lost there because I don't know how the internet works and I use it every day. I actually don't even really know how electricity works, but I turn on my lights and somehow wires that come into my house make the room glow. So Bitcoin mining is relatively complex Uh, I'm happy to discuss, you know, it's based on cryptography and SHA-256 algorithms. There's a game theory element to it. But what you need to know is that it works. And when I say it works, the Bitcoin blockchain secures about a trillion dollars of wealth. It's never been hacked. Uh, If you could hack into it, you could steal that money. So it's the largest single like honeypot in the world. And every transaction that's ever occurred on it is valid. You can go back in and trace every transaction back to where the first Bitcoin was created through this mining process. But that's the way to think of it. Miners play the same role in Bitcoin and other blockchains that banks play uh, in terms of processing transactions and making sure that it's safe. They just do it better.
0: So the most uh, reference any of us will really have with Bitcoin or with you know, any cryptocurrency is the ability to buy it. But now we have exchanges. Like, is that how you buy crypto now?
1: Yeah, uh, in the early days of crypto, you had to be like a computer scientist to access it, right? At the bottom, it's a technological uh, thing and you can still access it that way. You could, you could spin up your own crypto wallet and, and, and talk to the network. You could build your own miner, but most people buy it through brokerages or exchanges. So Coinbase is the largest. Coinbase is just another app. You could download it today, uh, send in some dollars and buy Bitcoin um, or another crypto asset. Uh, You can even do it directly through apps like PayPal. You can buy Bitcoin on PayPal. All those services are providing is like a UX uh, that makes it easy to buy uh, Bitcoin. It's kind of like gold. You could go into the hills of California and go prospecting for gold and you might get it too. Or you could go downtown and buy it from a dealer or buy a gold ETF. And those are just easier and you pay a fee to make it easier. It's certainly more expensive to buy Bitcoin on Coinbase than it is if you're a computer scientist and do it directly. But it's, um, yeah, it's a brokerage and you buy it like you would a stock. It would feel very familiar if you've ever bought a stock on ETrade or Charles Schwab or Fidelity. Your experience buying a crypto asset would look very much like that.
0: And when it comes like Bitcoin now, it's worth so much that um, I take it you buy like fractions of Bitcoins. Is that what you're basically investing in? or?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. You can buy virtually any amount the beautiful thing about the digital world is it's really good at dividing stuff the smallest piece of a bitcoin for what it's worth is called a satoshi uh which is the name of the founder and that's point it's 0.90s and a one of bitcoin it's not worth very much at all but if you want to sound cool to your friends you can (laughs) say that you're you're stacking sats which is how people refer to that small increment it means like stacking pennies but of bitcoin
0: just like a little bit of time on Reddit and I feel like I've already found another language. (laughs) It's like, I hear that and I'm like, Uh, uh, I don't want to call it that. But, um, so with it, I was, one of the things I've wondered about is, uh, I had a friend, he ran a a company and at some point he's like, Oh, we're, we're pivoting part of our company's gonna do this. We're also developing a cryptocurrency. Can, like, why are these other cryptocurrencies popping up? And I, I don't even want to get into the parody one yet, but you know, some of the other like Ethereum, is this just what happens? Is it kind of like companies or, or like, I guess, just explain, like, how does this happen that we get other cryptocurrencies?
1: Yeah, well, uh, th- there's both a, a good answer to that and then, and then there's a bunch of junk. So let's talk about both pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, the good part is the way, again, to conceptualize these, they're not quite like currencies. They're more like technologies. So an asset like Bitcoin is different from an asset like Ethereum in the same way that Microsoft is different from Salesforce, right? Microsoft and Salesforce are both software companies, but they're good at different things. Bitcoin and Ethereum are both crypto assets based on blockchains, but those blockchains are good at different things. In the case of Bitcoin's blockchain, what it's optimized to do is be really secure. So as an example of that, it's actually a very simple program. It only has like at start, it only had like 350 lines of code. You can't do much with it. You can send Bitcoin, you can receive it, you can store it. You can think of it like a calculator. Ethereum is like Bitcoin in that you can move Ethereum around the world really fast, but it's programmable like a computer. You can program it to do a million different things. You could program it to like serve the role that a lending agent at a bank serves, right? give a loan to this person if they have this collateral and this this income. So it's more useful than Bitcoin. You can program it more like software. Uh, The reason Bitcoin's more valuable is that security is really a good thing. So Bitcoin, people talk about as digital gold. This is a way of thinking of it, right? Um, If you're building digital gold, you want your software to be really secure. And that's it. And so the Bitcoin blockchain is really secure. And that's it. Ethereum is like, it's not as secure as Bitcoin, but you can, you can do more fun stuff with it. It's more like a, a computer. Um, the reason there's, and there are 9,000 cryptocurrencies, which is always a number that scares people. It's yeah. trivially easy to create one. It's open source software. So in a very literal sense, you and I could copy and paste the Bitcoin software, rename it, you know, Matt Hogan coin and launch a new coin tomorrow. The thing about Matt Hogan coin, is that no one wants it not even my (laughs) wife wants it uh it's not valuable it's not secured by a supercomputing network of 110,000 miners you can't spend it anywhere you can't move it across borders because there are no exchanges that trade matt hogan coin in the same way that you and i could probably hire some coders and build a ride-hailing app but we wouldn't have a 60 billion dollar company like uber you can launch a new cryptocurrency but that doesn't mean it's it's worth anything and the short answer for, for, for most of your listeners, once you get past the past top 50 or 100 um, and really even the top 10 or 20, most of these are junk projects that aren't going anywhere. It doesn't mean there won't be like one cool idea that pops up. I'm not saying that. It's a technology space. It's disruptive. It changes. But mostly you can, you can ignore that stuff.
0: And then there's the one that you can't ignore, but probably people wish they could ignore the Dogecoin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The real brief background of this, we talked about it before. It's like a parody of cryptocurrency.
1: That's right. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. It's a joke. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a joke in the literal sense of the world, except it's kind of a dangerous joke because now it's worth, you know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 billion dollars or something. Yeah. Um, it makes my mind hurt. Doge was, Doge was launched as a joke. It's gained currency recently in value, because Elon Musk has been tweeting about it and other people have been tweeting about it. It's not a serious cryptocurrency in that its blockchain isn't secured by its own mining network. It has an infinite issuance potential. There's not much development activity on it. The one thing it has tapped into, to go back to the start of our conversation, if you think about crypto writ large as money moving onto the internet, what's something that's part of the internet? Celebrities, Mm-hmm. Meme culture, bad jokes, right? That's part of the internet, and so that's found its space in in, in crypto. Um, and there's a, a a fractional, non-zero chance, but very close to zero, that that's enough to like have the developer activity and serious technological development follow it. But I think it's highly unlikely. Mostly, it's a joke. I wish it would go away. Although, when you say that, for what it's worth, when you say that on Twitter, man, it gets ugly out there. They're yeah, like I was, love Doge and it gets ugly.
0: I, I was gonna say, I, I keep I, I have um people I work with who invested in Doge and want to remind me every day how it's doing, and I was like, I I don't care, but you know, <laughs> it makes them happy. Um, one there of the things go. that I was, you know, that's hard to compute, but then let me put it this way let's say I owned a Bitcoin, um, I got it 12 years ago when it was worth maybe 20, dollars or that was the value assigned to it. Now it's worth, I, I, I can't remember, it's, the, the, it's dropped like 40%, but it's worth somewhere in the you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Yep. Um, if I wanna sell that, do I have to, like, how do I do that? Do I have to find somebody who will buy it for $40,000 or can it get broken up? how What works?
2: Well,
1: both, both, both are true. So first of all, congratulations uh, on turning 20 grand into, into 40 grand, uh, $20 into $40,000. That makes okay. you a phenomenal uh, investor or someone who's very lucky, I'm not sure um yeah you would sell it the same way you would sell stocks right so so in practice um most people would move that into a brokerage account and then sell it the market is extremely liquid bitcoin does you know multiple billions of dollars of turnover uh every day and it's extremely institutional one of the things that people don't understand if you're on the outside of this is that many mainstream financial institutions are now involved in bitcoin BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, has exposure to Bitcoin in its funds. Uh, Guggenheim allocates to Bitcoin in certain funds. Alliance Bernstein, just just earlier this week, Wells Fargo announced that it would allow its advisors to to invest in cryptocurrency, and they're putting a fund on their platform. So it is much more liquid than you think. Yeah, if you you have a Bitcoin, you you should have bought 10 when it was $20. So... um, (laughs) <laughs> if you have those, you'd move them onto an exchange and you trade them like you would a stock. Uh, and there's plenty of liquidity because there are many large investors operating in this market.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this before. What's like an appropriate percentage? Like I've always been told, you know, you do 10% of your investments in bonds, 20% in small cap mutual funds. What's like a safe place to live if someone wants to get into? significantly, once again, a significant amount of cryptocurrency? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great
1: question. Many investors are best served by zero. Uh, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't feel like you have to own crypto. Um, uh, what we found is that the right allocation for most investors is between one and 5%. And the reason for that is, historically, if you plug that into what it would do to a portfolio, you get a significant uh, uh, increase in your risk-adjusted returns because it has had strong returns and it's not correlated with stocks. In other words, stocks may go up and it could go down or stocks could go down and it could go up. Those uncorrelated assets are like catnip for portfolios. Uh, they really do well. The reason I stop at 5% is that this is a very volatile asset. Uh, yeah. You know, It's up 5,500% since January of 2017, which is a lot. But within that 5,500%, there was a moment where it fell 89%, 89%. And the reason 5% is the magic number is that below 5%, it doesn't become the primary driver of how much your portfolio dips. And that's really important because I don't know about you, but if I like look up my IRA and it's down 20%, I'm going to panic and be sad. Mm-hmm. And if I had put a huge chunk into Bitcoin and it had fallen 89%, my overall net worth like had plunged, I might have panicked and sold and put it all into bonds. And you need to be able to hold this for the long term. You know, look, I'm the CIO of one of the largest crypto asset managers in the world. I don't know where crypto is going uh, in the next few weeks or few months. Uh, my, my personal allocations to crypto are, are sort of 10-year bets. Uh, that I think this idea of money moving on the internet, of programmable money, of digital property rights are going to be pretty big in ten years. And uh, between then and there, who knows? You know, another analogy, Amazon stock fell ninety percent during you know during the two thousand internet bubble, right? It almost crashed to zero, and yet it's been one of the best performing investments of all time. You have to hold it for the long haul. Most people know more than five percent. If you're above five percent, you're on your own. don't don't come back to me. <laughs>
0: One of the, uh, the questions, because I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, um, when you were doing ETF or investing before, we get the, I, I, you always get the sense that like, certain investments react certain ways, right? So when we see um, the Fed talking about interest rates, we notice that like, some of the tech stocks will start to drop. Um, when we see large investments into like, the, the blue collar or like, the middle class, you'll generally see sometimes like those old Dow Jones stocks moving up. Do we know yet like, what makes crypto go up or down?
1: I don't I I, we have some hints, but we don't know for sure. So here are the hints we have. It is still a risk asset. So when the market sells off, when those tech stocks are selling off over the short term, you're going to see crypto, at least historically has sold off as well. Um, Maybe it doesn't surprise you when I say it's a risk asset, but some people think of it, you know, as as being immune from that. And it's and it's not. It does well, historically, when there's clarity around regulation of crypto um uh but mostly it doesn't move in line with other assets it does over very short periods of time but over a year or more it isn't correlated to much i think the primary drivers are going to be better clearer regulation more use and more education in the passage of time the more people who know about crypto the fewer people who dismiss it out of hand the fewer people who who call it uh uh, rat Poison Squared, to use uh, Charlie Munger's famous phrase, uh, and address it as this interesting technology, um, uh-huh. the, 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 that'll be positive for crypto.
0: So we have to ask, what happened this week with Bitcoin and, and for that matter, cryptocurrency? Mm. There was a
1: stew of news is what happened this week. Look, the markets were overextended. I think it's, we should start with that. Uh, I mean all capital markets. Tech stocks were pulling back. Crypto is a risk asset. It was pulling back. But the crypto market in particular looked no further than the mania around Dogecoin as a signal of retail excess in the market. We were probably overdue for a pullback. In terms of what sparked that pullback, there were a couple of pieces of news. You had Elon Musk tweeting, which is never good. You had uh, uh, actually an inaccurate Reuters report that China had a new policy that was anti-crypto. In fact, they were just reiterating a policy that had been in place since 2017. But you had a very negative headline from Reuters that was just shared around the world. And US regulators announced that they would review some of the progress that banks had made around custody and crypto assets. And opening that up, let's be honest, is not a net positive thing. Uh, It means we could see a retreat from some of the regulatory advance that we saw in the past year. And all that together was enough to tip the scales and drive a pullback. However, it's important to note, we also had a a rapid rebound, right? Bitcoin's price fell all the way to $31,000 before bouncing back to around $40,000. And we also had some good positive news. As an example of that, Wells Fargo reversed a longstanding position that precluded its advisors from recommending crypto and client accounts. Now they can. That's an an example of how we're moving toward the mainstream. So it was a mix of positive and negative news a market ready for a pullback and, uh, and that's what you got. This is a volatile market, it's happened before, it will happen again.
0: And you know, now that it is part of people's investment portfolios, what kind of a real world application does it have for someone um, who's looking at mortgages, car loans? What can they, can they use this now?
1: Yeah, it's a real financial asset. It's a real financial asset in the same way that stocks are a financial asset or bonds are a financial asset and it's liquid, right? That's the thing about crypto. It's not like an early stage venture capital investment it has daily liquidity as intraday liquidity so uh absolutely it's part of your financial portfolio even though it's a virtual currency it's every bit as real uh in terms of its value as a dollar now it's more volatile don't don't discount the volatility um but it's it's a very real thing and I guess the one thing that I've kind of
0: wondered, but maybe there's no real answer to is like, why is it called cryptocurrency? Why not just universal currency, computer currency? Did they come up with a reason for that?
1: Right. I know. That's the other thing. Could you think of a worse name that would turn off more people?
0: It's like my parents just like shake their heads out. I think if it had a different name, they would be interested. But they're just like, no. I,
1: I agree with that. I think it's another original sin. I mean, the answer, it was developed by, you know, computer science geeks. Who aren't known for their marketing prowess, uh, and it's, it's at its fundamentals, it's based on cryptography, which is, it, you know, sounds scary, but is this really important area of computer science research? It's how we send secure military uh, communications. It's how the Visa network works. It's how the internet works. Everything is based on cryptography, uh, and they just didn't have the marketing sense uh, to to remove it from the name, but that. That's the reason, you know, never leave marketing decisions to the to the, uh, the computer science engineers.
0: No, I know the answer is pro- obviously yes, you're, you're probably excited about moving from ETF to, you know, the new space of uh, cryptocurrency. But what have you noticed just in the brief time since you decided, you know what, I was on the uh, front end of this wave with ETFs. I want to be on the front end of this wave with crypto. What have you noticed in that time, like those two years?
1: It's so much the same. It's so much the same. It's incredible. The thing about ETFs, which people don't remember today, because they're at the core of how people invest, right? There's $7 trillion in ETF assets now, is that 10 years ago, people were afraid of them and they didn't understand it. People don't remember, there were congressional hearings about whether ETFs were destroying American entrepreneurialism. They hauled ETF executives in front of Congress and grilled them for hours. The Financial Times referred to ETFs as weapons of mass destruction. I spent, (laughs) you know, five years of my life uh, on the phone with people explaining why bond ETFs wouldn't destroy the world and were actually a net positive good. Uh, And the same thing is happening in crypto. Even for the, the three and a half years I've been here, the level of understanding and the maturity of the industry and the maturity of people's understanding has come a long way. There's still a few people who are holistically skeptical who dismiss it as nothing more than a fad and a bubble. Uh, but those numbers are, are, are shrinking. Um, and, uh, and I think that pathway will continue. So I actually see so many analogies uh, between the early days of ETFs and the early days of crypto that it's it's exciting.
0: It sounds like you're just a glutton for punishment having to answer <laughs> people's questions about this. <laughs>
1: that's what I do, it's what I
0: love. It, that's a pretty good summary. So uh, thank you for coming on and talking to us today. Uh, I learned a lot, I think, hope everybody else learned a lot, but um, really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me, this was great.
0: Back to our regularly scheduled programming, we have Peter Rashuti joining us. Peter, we missed you on crypto, but I wanted to uh, go through what's happening right now with the U.S. economy, because I've seen a lot of shortages, and kind of get your take on where you see things going in the next few months. Um, but I think we should start with what's happening right now in the economy.
2: Oh, I, th- I think, Matt, it's 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 very, very interesting. We're basically now afraid that we're going to roar back too quickly and we're starting to see it. You know, you're starting to see inflation, kind of core inflation that we haven't seen anywhere where you start. I'd I, wait anywhere. I'd say for the last 40 years, you're starting to see inflation in commodities. Uh, you're starting to see, com- uh, you know, things like timber, uh, mm-hmm. things like chlorine. Uh, things that you just really never thought were really going to come barreling back again price-wise. And they are. And most of it is really not. It's two things. It's demand from this uh, starting to be, the economy's starting to get its footing, but it's also supply chain problems. And they're everywhere. I think bottom line is things came back quicker than people believed they would. And they just didn't have anything in place. Like I was talking to somebody down here. We grow a lot of timber. And I uh, asked him, I said, you know, price of lumber is just skyrocket. I said, I bet you are in seventh heaven making money. And he goes, nope. And I said, how could that be? And he says, well, the reason the the timber is up so much is all these sawmills closed down over the last few years, wasn't much business. So we're growing the trees in Louisiana, but now I've got to ship them to Texas to get them milled. And by the time I do that, we're back. And I'm basically in the same kind of profit margins I were when the price of lumber was much smaller. And everybody has this, whether it's tankers to move oil um everybody's in this jam so i think it's the most fascinating period going forward and you've got to keep your eye on the federal reserve the fed you know there's all these fed watchers and god knows what they are i think mm-hmm. this you know I, who would watch the fed like that it's a, really this great program it's the golden age of television what are you doing watching the fed? but <laughs> but it is uh what they're um they're because the fed is in a real pickle here they are trying to orchestrate a soft landing, a successful soft landing because the economy was too far down. Now it's heating up and they're trying to get it uh, to slow down a little bit and get back to a a pretty healthy number, but not to inflation. You got to remember the Fed wants to keep inflation at 2%. And uh, the rate we're growing at right now, that is going to be a real, real problem. When it comes to like inflation, you were talking
0: about you know the the you're thinking oh the timber is I think timber when I last saw and it's changed since then was like four times bigger than it was maybe let's say let's say for the sake of argument it was thirty three cents for a foot it's now one twenty for a foot who makes money when it goes up that high because if the guy with the 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 you know the tree farm isn't making money and the sawmill's not making money and the Home Depot's not making is anyone
2: making money on this transaction uh, it, it's uh, yeah, I tell you one group that is is the shareholders. They have, uh, they're kind of above the fray in this thing. So if you've looked at stocks like Weyerhaeuser and Potlatch and, and such, their, uh, their earnings numbers are dramatic. Now, one of the things is, of course, Matt, is that investors bid the stocks up to a point, but they haven't bid them up as much as you would think because they don't think this can last. You know, that's the way capitalism works. There, are, If we're short sawmills, uh, Peter and Matt, Incorporated, are going to open a damn sawmill on the Texas-Louisiana border. You know? so, um, and there's gonna be, There might be a lag time, but if there's short tankers, you're going to make new tankers. It balances itself out. Uh, the problem the Fed has uh, right here is you know, what to do with interest rates. Every time they even discuss anything remotely close to raising interest rates, Wall Street has a temper tantrum, just like mm-hmm. a three-year-old. And they start selling off stocks and, and the fed has to come in and say "Oh, we didn't mean when i think the word we were, janet was looking for was if you know it's in just to calm everybody down because these stocks are so pumped up by the idea what's factored into them is basically zero interest rates mm-hmm. and that's without that these stocks don't sell at these prices at all and so they're trying to slow down the economy slow down inflation without Ticking off everyone else, and uh, and I, I tell you, you, know, one of the things that bothered me so much in those Trump years was the uh, politicization of of the Federal Reserve. I mean, the Federal Reserve was just a a place on the, Nobody knew what they did, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and uh, and there's there's smart smart people, and uh, this is going to be a real real test of them. Uh, we're we're going to have to see. I-,
0: I was wondering, you know recessions and depressions are their own beast, right? Because they're, they're sort of like, it's, I hate to say this, but they're, they're like nature, right? You, it's, it's part of the ecosystem. If an oil spill comes into a marsh, eventually the marsh will push the oil out. It takes years, but it does it. So I see um, recessions and depressions sometimes in that same vein where it's, there's a lot of fat on the hog. There's a lot of uh, things that probably, like we've said before, shouldn't be part of the marketplace. And then you get a depression, a recession, and that drop you know, fetters them out, until we get to another point. But when you purposely, for the sake of a pandemic, like you had to do, shut down the economy, um, have we ever seen anything like this in terms of a recovery? Like, how do you recover from this? How do you even know what to expect? No, you
2: know, we've, we've never had anything that was, uh, you know, orchestrated by uh, the world uh, itself because they needed it to be happy. Everybody, all these other recessions have been, there's been a couple of things that have triggered it and it's gone down, but they didn't want it to happen. Um, you know what they say, the difference between a depression and a recession, a recession is when uh, um, uh, your neighbor's out of work and a depression is when you're out of work. So it kind of, that, <laughs> that kind of, kind of works out. And that's the way it works. It is just a cycle, even though we're kind of a, a jar here, Matt, a cycle, business cycles last about seven to 10 years. And, uh, and that's what we've seen over and over and over again. The uh, average uh, economic expansion has lasted 90 months. Now, this last one lasted 128 months. So it was quite a bit longer. Uh, But that's what it is, and basically the economy gets is weak, gets goes up and up and up because you've got fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus, and then you get to a point where the economy is really starting to roll on its own, and then it gets too hot, and then uh, then the Fed will come down and they'll start to raise rates and to gradually push it back down, and then it makes the the system all over again, and that's what it is. I mean, that's what, as much as I think capitalism is the only system that works, that's that's integral in the whole thing. And uh, so we'll have to see.
0: I was going to, as you're like forecasting, or at least you're looking at things, um, obviously there's going to, everyone's eyes are going to be on the Fed. Do, I I don't even know how to ask this, but the supply chain, which has been disrupted from, you know, uh, uh, raw material all the way to the Home Depot floor, how long does it take something like that? Or do we even know to ramp back up again or to actually... To get the pipeline running at let's say even 2018 2019
2: levels yeah and that that's going to be the the big issue and uh one of the things that, in fact if you can kind of go back one more stage is there's a pl- supply chain problem the biggest one is the supply of labor
1: you know mm. we go to
2: you know if you're like uh we are down here you go to a nice restaurant and um uh, and it's either closed a couple of days a week or it has, uh, limited seating and all now, not because of masks, whatever. it's just because they can't get the labor. And, uh, and it's, and it's kind of funny. I mean, everybody here I know is kind of moved up in the ladder a little bit, the, uh, career ladder. There's, it's a good time to do it. There's, there's holes. And if you're going to ever, ever get a chance, you know, when, I remember when I was working for the investment firm back in Boston, we would laugh that when you got the economy really rocking, it became weird. It was like, uh, if you were a broker, now you're an investment banker. And if you were, a, um, if you were like a, an assistant, you're now a broker. And then we used to joke that if you were like one of the, like a crazy person that worked at Dunkin' Donuts, then you would now become a trader. You know, everybody would, <laughs> and you think to yourself, you know, uh, now we know who's working at Dunkin' Donuts, you'd worry, you know, you order mm-hmm. two iced coffees in a in an eclair and you get like six eclairs and a hot coffee or something, you know? So it's, um, uh, that's, that's where we are right now. I saw, uh, just reading like articles here, there was,
0: um, a restaurant, let's say for the sake of argument, it's something in Chinatown in DC and someone went from like head server to general manager over and You're, you're right. I, I just read that today. And I was like, am I reading this correctly? Um, there is the, the labor market is, and here's the thing though. I I like the fact that I live at this cross-section of, like, coming from a very rural red area and living in a very blue area because I hear from my friends in D.C. They say, you know, there's not enough um, of an incentive, right, because they're not getting paid a living wage. Then I hear from my friends in the red area who are construction workers, and they're saying, well, nobody wants to work. They just want to sit at home. And I always – Challenge that one because I, you know, a couple of people I've talked to who've been on unemployment, who've been struggling to get their benefits are like, I'd rather just go back to work than deal with this. But there are issues. There's obviously health pitfalls you can't deny for people. Um, It will be interesting to see if this spurns. I just saw today that one of the uh, restaurants downtown is offering $600 worth of Bitcoin as an incentive for people to come work.
2: These are, these are, of course, signs of the end times, you know, but it's, uh, they, I, you know, I, I gave a commencement speech at Tulane yesterday and, uh, and I just couldn't have, stop talking about, you know, the way people are investing these days. It's, uh, you know, uh, Warren Buffett said, uh, be, be greedy when people are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy. And this is clearly people are greedy. It's, uh, they're willing to take on enormous amounts of risk. And, you know, and people are saying, for instance, on this cyber, you know, cryptocurrency, Um, you know, that it may, you can put a little bit in your portfolio because it adds diversification. It's not, the action isn't tied to the same uh, movements of the stock market, but, you know, so is a rock, you know, so is lottery tickets, you know, uh, you know, I think the whole thing is starting to look a lot more like Beanie Babies and uh, Uh, that did not end well, by the way, the uh, Beanie Baby phenomenon. So, uh, by the way, I got to tell uh, you, I don't believe in gold either. You know, I just think it's... uh, it's a rock it's a doorstop you know and people always say you know during the, the apocalypse it'll be good it's like what are you gonna put some salt on it and i hear we'll share it doesn't do anything and it's hardly I, used as an industrial metal even it's i was
0: nuts. i was walking um you know and this is a good place to pivot to right now because i'm curious about this now you know that a recession is on the way or you can at least feel it in the wind there's something crazy going on and i hear this podcast and the uh the host says, you know, one thing that always does well is gold. And I've had people telling me gold always does well since I was like 21. And my friend told me invest whatever little money I had in college in gold and a company called Lehman Brothers. Um, so who knows what that was worth? But w-
2: w- why not gold? It, it just doesn't do anything. I'd much rather be in a stock that produces income, has assets, uh, can grow over time. It just sits there. And the only reason gold is worth anything, there's no shortage of it in the world. This is just, you could produce gold for the rest of time. Uh, but the only reason it's worth anything is that somebody else thinks it's worth something. It's almost, you know, it's it's almost like a 6,000 year scheme. You know, it doesn't, what, what different, and then, you know you look at things like you watch TV late at night and it's usually, uh, you know, well they'll show like terrorists attacking a house and they'll go, uh, gold. That's what you need is gold. I always think, and then it's always, you know, a gold that looks like, you know, president Eisenhower and, or, you know, Bugs Bunny or whatever they have on it. And, uh, one of the things is people should know about investing, particularly in those collectibles and things is, there's a big spread between the bid and the ask. Like probably the best example is like, uh, we both like baseball, like a 1964 Mickey Mantle. They might say, you know, it's being off. Uh, people are, uh, uh, they're offering it $500,000 and you're like, Oh my God, it's so great. I wish I had that. And, but the bid, the amount people are going to are willing to pay for it might be $2,000. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're going to, if you're selling it, you're going to sell it to the high bidder. And if you're buying it, you're going to sell it at what you're going to buy it at what people are asking for. You'd have to make an enormous profit in the overall price just to get out. And yeah, stocks and- aren't like that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say stocks produce. Do you, is there, in the same way, I don't, I know we don't have a gold currency anymore, gold standard currency. uh, But is there like any worthwhile thing? And I'm not even talking about crypto, but is there any worthwhile in investing in any currency?
2: The only reason is if you're, um, is if you already own something else. Like corporations, uh, if they're doing business abroad, one of the things they have to worry about is the change in the currency situation. When they, they make money in France. Uh, and they have to ship those dollars back to the U.S. Well, you know, a change in that ratio is going to have a big effect. So they do something called currency overlay, which is just hedge themselves so that nothing happens. It doesn't, you don't make a, a currency gain or a currency loss. You just you just want to run it for hmm. the business sense. And uh, so those people are. But everyone else, I just don't I just don't see it. I mean, what are the odds of you being right? It's, uh, you know, one of the, things about all these other investments is they're zero sum games. If you're making money, it's because somebody else is losing money. And that's not the way the stock market works. The stock market has actual growth. The companies get bigger. Uh, the pie gets larger. Uh, but I think uh, I just I just don't see. I don't really see any home for it. I think people have alert certain feel better by having a little bit of gold in their portfolio It's it's uh, I don't know why it's just some sort of mental problem or something, (laughs) but it's not, uh, there isn't anything, there isn't anything there. Um, You know, it's like, what is it, uh, uh, who said that? uh, About Oakland, California, there's no Uh, there there. Gertrude Stein, right? Yes, yes, so it's, there's no there there with gold. And uh, by the way, I've spoken, I used to speak every year at the world's largest gold uh, uh, conference, and it was just wild. Uh, Back then, I didn't know there were so many of them, but they are the lunatic really? fringe. When you get in there, they, Yo, yeah, these are all people that are, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, create bomb shelters in their house. Uh, they, you know, they've some machines so that the Obama girls don't uh, take shredded checks and refine your numbers so they could, you know, steal the money. It's a, just, it's the reddest, kookiest group of people I've ever seen. And They would bring me in, I guess, just for balance, and I would talk about the joys of mutual funds. And, um, yep. And nope, yep. They, um, they appreciated the, um, seeing the other side, they just didn't
0: want to go there. So my um, my grandfather was a, a small, as his wife said, Texan. Um, and he had grown up in a one room or one bedroom house. I think, um, my brother probably listens to this, so I hope I get the facts right. But I remember that, um, if you recall when the quarters went from having the Eagle on the back to having each individual state, uh, for my birthday one year, he gave me this, you know, one of those little fold-out things with two of the quarters. Right, we, and he we, said, these will be worth something one day. And, you know, God bless him. He's passed years ago. It was like 2006. If he could see today that every quarter is that way. <laughs> but these were things he thought were good investments. Right. God bless him. But it was like, he was the guy that was up late at night. And he was like, that's a quarter I want to get. When it would show up on the QVC, oh, I want that silver dollar with the moon landing on the back.
2: And that's cool. I mean, if you just want them as collectibles, oh. but the idea that 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 cardboard thing was gonna see what is it? so twenty-five cents times fifty states. I think that's probably yeah, exactly. What work. And
0: I remember sitting there thinking, like, because he had a big coin collection. I was like, he has grossly underestimated how valuable like a hay penny from you know the twenties or something from the eight the nineteenth century is compared to like no one in the 21st century is going to care about these things and that's okay. But he, yeah. I think he was known to put right. value in things like that.
2: Um, <laughs> um, you know what they said now? So on the other hand, you have assets mm-hmm. like land where, you know, people say, and it's true, they're not making any more of it. You know, I mean, that makes sense. You've got this finite group, but you take like diamonds and the entire control of the supplies by the De Beers mm-hmm. corporation and uh, gold it's, it's just a few companies that, there's more and more of it. The only reason they're just fixing the price. So I don't really think there's anything there. But, you know, if we go back to where we started, Matt, on supply chain, one of the things the market is sort of feeling in here is that there's going to be a run-up inflation, but it's not going to last. It is because of supply chain issues, which are going to be fixed. They and I, definitely I was gonna... are. Um, but I did find a new use for cryptocurrency, apparently, when you're um, holding a corporation mm-hmm. for ransom. That would be the way you would actually want. So I'm not saying it doesn't have some good uses. Uh, they- <laughs> so, you
0: know, it, it, it's very interesting in that I, I have a, I want I'm going to ask a question, but I'm also going to predict your answer. Uh, if not gold, right. And you can see inflation coming, you know, there may be a, a correction as the kids call it. Um, where should people put investments? If they're a little bit exposed in terms of singular stocks and they want to take safe Harbor for, a year or so, is the place
2: index funds? Uh, n- well, I think, but if you really wanted to play it for real, is um, I would buy stocks in companies uh, that uh, own resources. And whether that's oil or lumber or, um, or land, because those are the things that tend to go up um, when you have inflation. And so, but because they're stocks and they're reinvesting those profits back in, better than owning the actual physical asset or a future for it. How about a company that benefits and keeps plowing more money uh, back into the company? That's what I want. And of course we talk about indexes and we're always kind of laughing about indexes and ETFs. But yes, um, yes Martha, <laughs> there, are, <laughs> there are mutual funds just for timber and uh, there's mutual funds just for natural resources and for oil. So I think um, I would just uh, same kind of play but play it in a mm. different vehicle. I think would be uh, would be fine, and there's a, you know, there's obviously a bunch of assets that are working uh, working in that way. But most of these, uh, most of the, the increases in inflation here, Matt, people think are going to shake themselves back out when the supply chain gets fixed. And I don't think the supply chain is going to get is you know, it's maybe six months of being messed up like this, and then it. Uh, that's one thing. I mean, capitalism has some problems. It's cyclical. It seems to be creating a lot of haves and have-nots. But it is, does solve problems like this pretty
0: quickly. That's what I've heard. Someone was saying that, you know, eventually people won't want to pay these prices for things. That's sort of a correction in and of itself. And I was like, oh, OK.
2: Think about the poor Fed now. The Federal Reserve is that they see in every Joe Schmo sees inflation going up and they're thinking, well, the Fed's going to have to raise interest rates. Well, the Fed's thinking, yeah, but I don't think this inflation is forever. And I don't want to raise interest rates, slow the economy down. And then these things crater in price once the supply chain gets fixed. So they're they're really very they, they're really um, they're really trying to hold their fire on this. And it's going to be interesting to see what what goes on. And I have often, you know, I give talks and I always tell people, particularly when you're having a bad red blue problem mm. in a room or whatever, is that you know it, it wasn't a Trump or Biden, it was it was Jerome Powell, <laughs> it, was, it was your president of the United States. So it's um. It's, uh, and you look at those people and they're mm-hmm. really smart. So I think this is a good idea. to, to let Sounds to do good. It. So that's a nice little look at what we had to look forward to as the supply
0: chains reopen. Next week, we talked about this. We're going to try something very different. And it's going to be, how do you invest your retirement fund? We'll couch it because it's a what is thing as a what is your retirement fund? Giving people an idea of how they should be investing things.
2: Yeah, because you know a lot of people think, Matt, you got a great uh, idea there because- They think, oh, I opened an IRA or I opened a 401k. -hmm. That was the easy part. The tough part is figure out what, that's just a shell. What are you going to invest it in inside? And I'm going to make a broad claim here, Matt. I uh, usually don't do anything like this, but I think you can explain how to invest your retirement funds uh, over a lunch. And that's what I'm going to try to do with you next week. Sounds good. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you at home for
0: listening.